It is God's word. Ah, love it. Excited to preach God's word. Uh, obviously, Kim and I were out of town last week, and uh, we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. So, woohoo to us. And uh, God has been good to us. It's a great time away um, for a few days. Uh, Joey, good to see you, buddy. Ah, it's so good to see you. Love it. Um, and also, if you guys didn't notice, but Mike Tyland is in the auditorium this morning. Mike, um, it, one of our worldview speakers from last year. So if you remember Mike, and uh, he is in town for the week, flying back home today. And uh, we're going to pray for you in just a second, Mike. Um, he will be leading two um, worldview conferences, obviously like worldview Academy this summer, like all the camps had to be canceled. So um, that's, that's his world. That's, that's the world he lives in is summer camps. And so um, they have two, um, what, are, what are we calling them? Church events, all right? So um, similar probably in some degree to what we did last year, but in a local church. Um, and so two of those are coming up here in the very near future. So as we pray over the preaching of the word, join with me and we want to pray for Mike. Father, we want to thank you, Lord. It is your word that we come to this morning, that we preach. Father, uh, we don't need mine and we don't need ours. We need your word being brought to our hearts today, Lord, and all that we're walking through and all that 2020 is bringing to us, we need your word more, not less. So come, speak to our hearts, we pray. Father, I want to thank you for my friend, Mike Tyland, and for his wife, Angela, and their family, Lord, and just want to pray over them as a church, Lord. Um, we want to lift them up to you. We want to lift up their summer to you. Lord, we don't understand all the details of what it is that we're going through. We, we, we don't understand camps closing. But you, Lord, you alone know. And uh, you are sovereign over it all. So we pray for these two church events and we ask for your presence. Lord, we pray that young people and parents would be equipped to to be able to um, think rightly about the world in which we live, Father God. So I pray that you bless Mike as he administrates and speaks, and Mike Shut as well. Just pray that you would bless these guys and bless um, these events. And Lord, now bless the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen and look. That's the title this morning because that's what Isaiah is going to tell us to do for eight verses. He's going to tell us over and over again, listen, listen, listen. He's going to say, look or pay attention or seek. Listen and look. 2020. Let's see. A year for the record books. You know, I have been thinking about just this, and I'm sure you have too, but um, you know, our kids will tell their kids about 2020. Like this one, this one goes down for the record books. Uh, I struggle to put, or let me ask it as a question. How would you put 2020, the first half of this year, put it in a word, not two, one word, shout them out. Stressful. <laughs> stressful. Is that what you said? Yep. Stressful. All right. Confusing, yeah. Upheaval. Upheaval. 
Interesting. Good. Separation. Those are all good. Um, the, 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 the one word I want to suggest to us, the one word that maybe encapsulates all those words um, would be uncomfortable. It's been an uncomfortable year. And um, what's beautiful about God's word is it comes to comfort us. Uh, these are not inspired, but the title, I, I didn't even notice until now. The title in the ESV over chapter 51 is The Lord's Comfort for Zion. So the Lord's comfort for God's people, we could say. Because we've all been made to be uncomfortable this year. And here's the question. Does God's word have anything to say to us living in 2020? Right? Like, does has God's word or has the glory of the word of God somehow, is it falling short for us in an uncomfortable year? Like maybe God's word was helpful for us in 2019, but you know, it just falls short in 2020. That 2020 is some sort of animal that the word of God never envisioned. Like how do we think about God's word right now? in the uncomfortableness of 2020. I said a few weeks back that we need to be better historians, meaning that what we're going through, like if if we knew our history better, we'd realize, you know, not to belittle, not to say, yeah, not a big deal, but in comparison to history, COVID-19, the social unrest that we're walking through, um, it pales in comparison. It's just, it's just history. History teacher right here has been nodding his head as I'm saying this. So it's just history. But it's also geography. If you lived in other places of the world right now, like it's just, this is, this is how they live all the time. It's history. We need to be better historians. We need to be better geographers and we need to be better theologians. We need to be better students of this book, the word of God, because it has something to say to us in 2020. It's not as if we come to 2020 and God throws up his hands and goes, I wish I would have put something in the book to help these people who are going through all this discomfort in 2020. Doggone it, I missed it. The thought of that is sacrilege. The thought of that is insanity. Obviously, God's word speaks to us right where we're at. And in this passage, what God is doing is he is comforting his people. Now remember, we've rehearsed this for nearly a year now in Isaiah. God's people, they are not in a comfortable place. They're in exile. It's a little worse. It's a whole lot worse than what we're facing. They've been yanked out of their homes. We got locked into ours. They've been yanked out of their homes. They've been dragged to Babylon. They are exiles. They are captive um, there in Babylon. Hardship for the people of God. Well, it would appear that there is no end in sight. Like, when is this COVID thing going to end? 
for them, their captivity, it appears as if there's no end in sight. They wonder, remember chapter 49, verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Remember, where is God? Has he forgotten his people then? Has he forgotten his people today? And Isaiah has been telling them and telling us to look to the servant king. Remember, Isaiah's broken up in three different sections. The first section reveals that there is a king who is coming and the king is Jesus, right? The second section, the king is not, is not the kind of king that we might expect, but he's a servant king. The servant king is coming. And then we're nearing, we're getting close to the third section and that's gonna show us that he is the anointed, victorious servant king king. That's where we're going. And so we're in that section of the servant king. Isaiah has been telling them and us to put their faith as they look to the servant king who is to come, put your faith in him. And as we look back, we are to put our faith in the servant king who came. And so Isaiah is calling the people of God then and now to listen, to pay attention, to look And we're to do this by looking to the past, past grace, or we could say yesterday's grace. We're to look to yesterday's grace. And in doing so, we're to receive hope and comfort for today. That's today's grace. And in doing so, we are waiting for tomorrow's grace, a future grace that is yet to come. Look to past grace. Let that bring a hope and a comfort for today. That's today's grace as we look to the future Tomorrow, future grace yet to come. It's, it's really eight verses. It's kind of that simple. So let's unpack this. Number one, listen and look. This is past grace, verses one through three again. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. And so you already begin to hear that theme and begin to unpack. Listen, look, seek. We're being instructed here to listen and look to what? The past activity of the Lord. He's saying to God's people then and now, look back to my record. Look back at my faithful, promise-keeping, faithfulness, activity in your past. Now, who's doing the listening? It says, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. And so there in the captivity, there is a remnant of people Remember, why are they in captivity? They're in captivity because of their rebellion against God, because they so thought that the living God was not good enough, and they, they, they ran to the surrounding nations, false gods, and said, let's, let's go with them. 
God who delivered us from Egypt. Well, that's great and wonderful, but let's go with these gods and all those chapters that we've unpacked about that. And so they're there um, because of the discipline of the Lord. But among them is a remnant of people, a repentant people, a people of verse of chapter 51. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. And praise be to God, gathered in this room this morning, watching on the live stream this morning, are people who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. And Isaiah is saying, through the inspiration of the Spirit, listen. The glory of God's word is that it addresses the people who first heard this word, the original hearers. It was addressing those people. But here's the glory of God's word. It's been addressing people ever since. Who's it for? Is it for the original hearer or is it for people today? Answer, yes. It's for us. It's just as much for you, church, today as it was for the original hearer of the words. It's amazing. That's the glory of the word. Circumstances have changed. Things are radically different. And yet, you know what? Not really. Things are radically different as far as socially, as far as how we dress, as far as customs. And things are incredibly the same as far as the human heart. The human heart has not, um, in some, in, in, it has, it's never reinvented itself. It's never, it's the same heart that we read of here in Isaiah. And so the same word addresses that heart today. Everything's different and nothing really is. And the people are found to be in captivity, going through what they're going through because they rejected God. And now to the remnant people of God, they're in captivity. Listen, seek, look. Where are they and where are we being directed to look? Well, we already said it. Look to the past. Look to the past faithfulness of God. Look to the past activity of God. How specifically does he do that? Does that in verse two? Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For he was but one when I called him that I might bless him and multiply him. He was, he was just one. One guy. Now think about this. As we look to Abraham and Sarah, what did Abraham and Sarah do? Well, they grew old. That's what they did. That was their contribution to the amazing, sovereign, miraculous, glorious plan of God, their contribution, grow old, guys. They grew old. They did their part. They got desperate. They tried to manipulate God's plan. They try to take matters in their own hands. They try to make God's promises happen in their own strength. Abraham was as good as dead. Sarah was dead as far as being able to bear children. It was literally, you know this to be true, it was literally a joke to her. 
when she heard the word of the Lord that she was to have a child. It was laughable that that would take place. That ship had sailed, and yet it was out of their inability and in the middle of their lack of faith that God shows up and shows himself to be faithful because he is a promise keeper. He, he's the one who makes the promises and he's the one that fulfills the promises. And so he's saying to the people of God there that are in the middle of their hardship. And he's saying to people of God today in the middle of our hardship, look to the past, look to my faithfulness. Thank you. Amen. That's why in verse one, it says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. Meaning, I meant to bring a rock in this morning just to hold it up. Like, it's an inanimate object. Like, look to the rock. Like, like what's that rock gonna do? <laughs> what can that rock produce? Go, rock. Complete inability of the rock. God moved upon Abraham and Sarah because God's a faithful God. And what do we need to hear today in the middle of our hardship, which historically, geographically, is not even comparable, but what do we need to hear? It's hardship nonetheless. We need to hear God has been faithful. He has been faithful. He has been faithful. Verse 3 tells us why begins with the word for. Maybe we could even say because. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her thanksgiving in the voice of the song. That's the reason we are being called to listen and look. It's the purpose statement here. But do you see it? It contains the, the glory of God, the wonder and the power of God. His purposes come to a, a people who are in hardship and he comes to comfort them. Father Abraham, yeah, he had no hope. We know the song, he had many sons, but we should sing the song, Father Abraham, he had no hope. And out of the deadness, God brought life. You see, you exist, Israel, not because of Abraham and Sarah. You exist, Israel, because of me, because of the sovereign God, because of the almighty God, because out of the rock, the inanimate object, you are hewn. The faithfulness of God. So he says, for the Lord comforts. Let me ask us, where do we go to find comfort today in our lack of peace? Just give me a vaccine. Or for others, don't give me a vaccine, right? Like, both are asking for comfort. Where do you find comfort? Is it in the Supreme Court rulings? 
Now I feel comfort because they ruled right, because they, they ruled in a way that's favorable to me. Or where do you lose comfort? Is it in the same Supreme Court rulings? Where do you find comfort? Is it in the mask? I find comfort in the mask. And others will tell you, I find comfort in not having a mask. What Isaiah is doing for us is he's saying, find your comfort in the past faithfulness of God. Now, it's easy for us. I love that we sang in Christ alone. It's easy for us to sing in Christ alone. What a great lyric and what a great melody Ah, in Christ alone. But is it? Is that where we find comfort in Christ alone? Or is it in Christ alone and something else, which means it's no longer in Christ alone? Look to the past faithfulness of God. He's saying, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. So what's being said here is that we're to listen and look while they're in their captivity, while we're going through our 2020 COVID and social unrest, whatever other hardships we might be facing before this year is out, in the midst of the hardship, the people of God are to have this hope. They're to have this comfort right in the middle of the hardships. It's not that the hardships for the people then or now, it's not that he's saying all these hardships are gone. He's not saying that. He's saying, I've been faithful. And so looking to the past grace of God brought to you through the vessel of Abraham and Sarah, it's because of that grace, because of that faithfulness, you can look to the hopelessness of your current situation and see the divine activity of God in your past. And you can see how he gave them a new future. Why is this needed today? Just as it was in Isaiah's day. Why? Because we forget. <laughs> because we're just like these people. Because we carry forward that sinful heart. Because we're dull. We forget God is faithful. We get caught up in the news. We get caught up in social media. We lose sight. <laughs> God brought a child to Abraham and Sarah, which was laughable to her. The situation that we find ourselves in can feel hopeless and we can't see any way out from the mess. Listen and look to the past activity of God for the Lord comforts Zion, verse three. And look what he does. It says he, he makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. What is he saying? He's saying, I bring life out of the Dead places, the wilderness, right? The desert, the dryness. I make Eden. I make the garden of the Lord. Peter would say it like this. Quite a bit different, but the same. That he's called you out of darkness and, and called you into his marvelous light. Paul would say it like this. Therefore, if anyone is a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Or Paul would say it like this to the Ephesians, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive 
together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see the result then for the people of God here in Isaiah and the result now as you sit here in this auditorium or you watch from the live stream, the wastelands, the desert, the wilderness will become a place, what does he say? Of joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the voice of song. Why, Isaiah? Why? Because of the past faithfulness of our God. And that's true if we look back to Abraham and Sarah. That's true if we continue through this book. But you know what? That's true in you name the number of years you've been alive. Number two, give attention. He says, give attention. And I'm calling this the now hope or now grace, comfort. Verse four, give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Stick with me here. The past, present, and futures, they're gonna, they're gonna do this between points. So these are not hard, fast points, categories. But for the people in Isaiah's day, as you read verse four, And what follows is a future grace for them. They're being told about a coming servant king who will come and they're to place their faith in the coming servant king. And so that's a future grace for the saints here. For us, we're still talking past grace, aren't we? We're looking back to the truth that Christ came. Not only do we look to Abraham and Sarah and see, wow, a child was born, right? But Isaiah's been walking us through this. Remember Isaiah 7 and Isaiah 9. We spent the entire Advent walking through, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. The government will be on his shoulders, right? And it's saying to us, look, that, that, that's a child for them to look back to, but they're called to look forward to another child who's to come. And at the same time right now for us, we're looking back to a child who has come. The servant king came uh, further, just bolstering our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our servant king has come. That is to comfort us in all the hardship that we're walking through. In both cases, the purpose of God in verse three remains. We're to be comforted by these truths. That's to affect them in their day right then. Whatever that captivity looked like. And that's to affect us in our day right now in the midst of our hardship. Always remember that context, context is king. Meaning we wanna be careful not to preach these eight verses as if they just kind of fell in the sky and fell in our Bible and that there's nothing surrounding in the context. The context, again, is that we're in this section about the servant king. And if we were to go back to the first servant song we preached, it was in Isaiah 42. Now, I hope to to read that to us this morning. You can read it later on your own. Let me just point out some similarities to chapter 42 and 51. In chapter 42 and 51, both of these songs describe the servant, 
the servant king. In both of these chapters, the servant is being described as bringing justice and light. In both of these, he is described as my righteousness. Verse five here, my righteousness draws near. He is actively described um, being done in, in righteousness. In both, we're to look at the universal and the comprehensive, the sovereign, extending authority and power of the Lord who is creator in both of these chapters. That's the backdrop to what's going, that, to what God is going to do through his servant. You see, it appears as if creation is losing. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. The, the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Like creation seems to be losing. God created. Now look, what's going on here? Has God's ability to fulfill his covenant promises, have they somehow come to an end? And the answer from chapter 42 and from chapter 51 and for more chapters to come in Isaiah is a resounding now. Give attention. Lift your eyes, he says here in the text. The same question might be asked today. Is God's ability to fulfill his covenant failing? Is it falling? Is the world falling apart? Is evil going to win the day? What's going on here? <laughs> is this the end of the world as we know it? You see, what the history lesson is intended to do for the people of God in captivity then, in hardship now, is to say, look to the servant. Look at what God intends to do through his servant. Verse four, give attention to, my, to me, my people, Give ear to, my, to me, my nation, for a law will go out for me. Jesus came and fulfilled the law. And I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Jesus was the light of the world. He brought justice. He will continue to do so. My righteousness draws near. Praise be to God for the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. You are saved today not because of your righteousness. You're saved today because my righteousness drew near. The servant king came and he died on the cross and he met every legal demand of the law and he took our sinfulness. He was, does it go further? My salvation has gone out. My arms will judge the peoples. He was judged on your behalf, he received the judgment that the wages of sin is death. His death says yes and amen. He received the judgment for our sins and he gave us his righteousness on the cross. He pays every debt before the law. He is righteous. It's who he is. It's what he has done. And so salvation, verse five, has gone out. That's good news because we're a rock. Inanimate, rock, unable to save ourselves. 
Oh, what a comfort in the middle of their captivity for them to look forward to the servant king who's to come. And they looked at the mess that they were in. What a hope, what a joy, what a song it says in verse three. And for us to look back, what a joy, what a hope, what a song it is for us. Christ has come. Consider the past activity of the Lord. 2020, how are you thinking about this year? Right? Like we, I, I think so often as believers, we think, well, we just got to bear, bear through it. We just got to wait this thing out. You know, get another bowl of ice cream. Let's wait this thing out. When will this be over? We're well, we just going to have to wait for it to be over. Is there anything more in the plan of God for his people? living in 2020, then just, we just got to wait it out. I know that's in all of our hearts. God doesn't call us to passively just wait it out. He calls us to actively listen, look. Number three, lift up your eyes and listen. This is future grace. Just read the second part of verse six down towards the the bottom of that verse. But my salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Again, eight, verse eight in the middle of that verse. But my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. How does God comfort his people? He not only says to us, look to the past, look to the past faithfulness, look look, look at what was dead, Abraham, Sarah, wilderness, desert. Look to the past. He not only says that, but look to the future. Look to what I'm going to do in your future because I'm not done blessing you. My salvation will be forever and my righteousness will never be dismayed. But in the meantime, right? That's wonderful promise. In the meantime, you got verse seven. Listen to me, you who know righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law, fear not the reproach of man. Why does the Bible tell us to fear not? Because we're afraid. (laughs) Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. It means don't be terrified at the reproach of man. Don't be shattered Don't be distracted. Don't be broken before their insults. This world stands against you, Christian. This should not surprise us. This world stands against you. In the midst of that, fear not the reproach of man. Is is there anyone that this reminds you of when you read that? Fear not the reproach of man. Do not be dismayed at their revilings. It's the servant king. He was reviled. He was reproached. How relevant is the word of God? People say, oh, you need to make the word more relevant. We don't need to make the word more relevant. The word is relevant. There's nothing more relevant than the word. Are you a Christian? 
Then verse 7, listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man. Fear not. All the reproaching that's going on in our day, fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed at their revilings. But where do I get this lack of fear? I get it by looking at the faithfulness of God in the past and his promises for us in the future. I get it by looking to Jesus who was reviled, the servant king who was reproached, and he was not dismayed. Verse 8, no matter how violent it may get against the people of God, its violence is literally like a moth and worm, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like a wool. But my righteousness will be forever, my salvation to all generations. And so... We didn't read verse 9, but I want to include verse 9 in closing. Awake. Awake, he says to us. Now, Josiah will pick this up next week. Such a good text. The following text uh, wanted to preach further this morning, but it needs its own, it needs its own sermon. So I just want to dip into verse 9. Awake, awake. Put on strength. O arm of the Lord, Awake. As in days of old, the generations of long ago. You see, hearing and seeing isn't enough. Looking to the past and simply just mentally considering the past and looking to the future, it's not enough. It's, it's a call. Wake up, church, people of God. God's comfort is never a call to passive Christianity. And we think like that. We think, oh yeah, God's bringing me comfort. That means I just sit on the couch and be comfortable. No, it's an awakened Christianity. Past grace, future grace stirs us out of the hopelessness to an awakened activity for the glory of God right now in the middle of the hardship. We're not waiting. Well, okay, I'll just, I'll wake up when all of this is over. No, we, we, the call is for us to awake now. The activity of God is now. Why? Because Christ has ransomed you. Look at chapter 51, verse 11. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. I mean, that's literal for them. Like they returned to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. He has not only rescued you, but he has, I mean, ransomed you. He has rescued you. Chapter 52, verse 3. For the, thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. It doesn't mean there was no cost. The price that he paid for your redemption is the life the, the death, the blood of Jesus Christ. He has rescued you. He has ransomed you. So church, people of God, listen, look. Those who seek the Lord, look to the past grace of God. Look to the future grace of God to now have hope and comfort. Current grace of God. Awake, wake up to these truths, church. Father God, I pray that you would help us. Let's stand together.